Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. My name is Chris Kretz. I'm the campus pastor here at Costa Mesa. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Thanks for those of you that are watching online. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been a fun month. It's been family month. We've been talking about relationships and, and how to develop healthier relationships using tools and resources that are available and, and looking at scripture and what Jesus modeled for us and the best way for us to go about building healthier relationships with people in our lives. And, uh, you know, we realistically, these messages, these topics, they apply to every kind of relationship. They apply to coworkers and neighbors and parents at your kid's school and friends, Um, but oftentimes we feel the tension the most uh, with the people that live in the same house that we do, and so that's why we just talk about family month and and what that looks like, and uh, and so, but you can really apply this to any relationship, so it doesn't, it's not just for people that are uh, married or have kids or whatever stage you're at, there's a reality that you're experiencing uh, relationships with someone, and inevitably at some point, uh, there's going to be tension. Uh, so I, uh, y- you know, one of the things we've been talking about over the last five weeks is this idea that um, none of our relationships are going to accidentally become healthy. Um, nothing, none of our relationships are going to accidentally become better than they used to. It's, it's not like a, uh, as seen on TV, like set it and forget it type of situation when it comes to our relationships. We have to, we have to put in intentionality and effort. And, and there's things that we need to do and effort that we need to put in as individuals, uh, as family members. Um, and then there's also things that we need to invite God to do in our own hearts. If we could save ourselves or fix ourselves, then, then we wouldn't need the, the grace and salvation from our heavenly Father. And so part of this is an invitation for us to step in and to make some intentional choices. And part of this is is an opportunity for us to ask God to transform our hearts and our minds to to be in healthier relationships and to be more whole versions of ourselves. Um, We... uh, it was probably last year, I think it was like, I don't know, it was still in that early stage of when everything was locked down. Um, we, uh, my family and I, I've got two kids, they're six and ten right now. Uh, they were five and nine or whatever the math is a year ago. I'm good at math. Uh, and so, uh, but it was kind of the middle of lockdown and we live in an apartment complex. We have kind of a townhouse style, two-story apartment. Uh, it looks exactly like Melrose Place. If anybody grew up watching Melrose Place, that is what our apartment complex looks like uh, and there's just as much drama. Um, so, uh, but, uh, so our bedroom is upstairs and our kids are at that stage where they get up earlier than we do. They're both morning people and neither my wife or I really are. And they're old enough to where they can kind of get up and kind of fend for themselves and not kill each other, uh, those types of things. So, uh, but you never really know what they're going to get into. And sometimes we'll hear them start fighting or arguing over different things. And, and so it was like 630 in the morning and, uh, I hear them fighting and I'm like kind of half asleep, groggy, waking up and, hear them fighting. I'm like, well, that's not coming from their room. It's like, it doesn't sound like it's coming from downstairs either. And so I go out and I realize they're fighting on our patio, which like faces the whole apartment complex and uh, just like shouting at each other at 6.30 on a Saturday in the middle of the pandemic when, you know, nobody was getting up early at all, right? So even the early people weren't getting up early. So I like go out to our balcony that overlooks the, the patio and I, I'm like trying not to be the dad that yells at my kids for yelling. Uh, and so I'm like, hey, 
you know, that sincere, like, intense parent voice. Hey! They don't hear me. They just keep fighting. And then a little bit louder, I'm like, hey! They, like, freeze and, like, look around. They're like, I I hear something. I'm like, I'm up here! It reminded me of uh, um, The Three Amigos. I don't know if you guys have ever saw that movie. Like, look up here! Look! No. If you haven't seen it, just trust me. It's, it's hilarious. So anyway, so they look up, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? And uh, I'm like, I don't know. You know, obviously, like, nothing, even though they're just shouting at each other. I'm like, stop fighting. I was like, go back inside. And Arlo, my younger son, who's five at the time, he's like looking up, and he just said, no. Which, like, is not really his personality. That's not something I'm, like, used to from him. And it was very confusing. I was like, am I still asleep? Is this a, you know, what is happening? And Mason, the one who, uh, our X-Wing fighter pilot that was up here, he, like, kind of hit him on the chest, like, kind of back in. He was like, hey, you can't talk to him that way. I was like, thank you. He's like, and then he says, he's a pastor. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, you know what, like, <laughs> Whatever it is, whatever way I get respect. Uh, um, no, but there's this reality that uh, I don't always get to control my kids as much as I want to, as much as I like to pretend that I'm in control. We all know that, uh, you know, the kids, they're going to do what they want to do. Uh, we do our best to teach them. We do our best to help them make the right decisions. And, and then at some point, they're, they're going to say the thing that you wish they didn't say in the checkout line at the grocery store, or they're going to treat somebody. And we just, we want that kind of control, but it's not just about parents, This is really an aspect of the way that we are in all of our relationships. We want to make sure that things go the way we want them to go. Not because we're evil masterminds, but because we want goodness and health and and we want people to experience wholeness and and fun relationships. and, And we all have this desire to be able to control scenarios, to be able to control people, to be able to control relationships, to be able to change things or shape things to be a certain way. And at the core of it, it's because we actually think that that's a, a better way. It's the right way. We, we want to interact in a, in a certain way in our relationships. We want our kids to learn certain things. We want to control every aspect of our lives. How many cars are on the freeway? How our kids interact with other kids or adults? The decisions our parents make? The way that our neighbor chooses to decorate their lawn? Uh, you know, all, all kinds of things. I'll see if I can start any fights here. Uh, a couple questions for you guys. How many of you guys um, just, uh, when you use, use the toothpaste... You are just careless and reckless, and you just squeeze from wherever you're holding on the tube. You just squeeze the tube straight from the middle. Show of hands, anybody? Very loud and proud. I like it, you guys. Uh, and how many of you are like the, the folding, rolling from the bottom of the tube? You, you do it the right way, as they say. Uh, you know, the toilet paper. How many of you guys get bothered by which way the toilet paper is facing? Yeah, okay, so the toilet paper over the top of the roll... Wow, a round of applause for the toilet paper. I didn't even, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, toilet paper behind the roll. How many of you guys care enough to actually change it? It's, oh my goodness, you guys need so much help. Um, how many are bed makers in the morning? You have to make your bed before you do anything else. <laughs> it's getting violent out here. Uh, my wife loves making the bed, and I think that she's angry with me because she makes she puts the sheets on so tight. And then at night when I get in, it feels like I'm trapped, like I can't move at all. It's it's a little bit terrifying. Loading the dishwasher. There's all of these things that you know, and these are silly things, but we do these things because we think it's a better way. 
It's not because we hate our spouse or our roommate or our kids. It's not because we want to drive them nuts, although you may think that they're trying to drive you nuts by doing things the wrong way. But it's because we, we really think this is a better way or the right way or this will make things easier or this will clean the dishes more or the, there's goodness, there's good intentions, there's, there's the right uh, motives for all of these things. None of us have evil intentions and the same thing is true in every aspect of our relationships. We want to control, we want to, uh, we want to change, we want to be in charge of things because we want them to be good, healthy, better. We want them to kind of become this picture of what we have in our minds. The reality is, is that I'm not actually in charge of all these things. And by things, I mean people. Uh, my kids are humans, and they have choices, and, and they're getting bigger and stronger and more sarcastic. Uh, I'm in charge of my marriage. I'm a part of my marriage. I'm one part of my marriage, and there's another person, and, and so I don't get to control everything that happens in my marriage. Uh, I'm in charge of my adult siblings. I'm, I'm part of this family, and so I, I don't get to actually control the way that our family looks or the way that we interact or the way we t- spend time together. I, I don't have that much control. I can't control all these things, and I, I shouldn't control all these things. There's a, a passage in 1 Corinthians that most people just assume is only about marriage because it's primarily read at weddings, uh, but it's really just about def- defining what love is. In 1 Corinthians, it says this, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. There's another translation of this that says it doesn't insist on its own way doesn't insist on its own way. It says it's not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Now this is just a definition of what love looks like, of what does it look like to care for others, to love others in our lives. Again, whether you're married or have kids or don't have kids or single or roommates or whatever the situation is, this is a definition of what it looks like, uh, the most genuine version of love of, of what that looks like, of how we can care for others. And when we try to control someone, when we try and change things that we're actually not responsible for changing, it starts to distort and twist what love looks like. I've talked about this before, uh, so I won't go into it a lot, but throughout scripture, there is only one thing that we're told to control, ourselves. Self-control is the only kind of control that God actually wants for you and I. Self-control. And he knows that we can't do it on our own, and it's listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit, which means this is, this is one of the things that we start to experience the more we grow in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The more we allow God to, to move in our hearts and our minds, we start to experience and have self-control because we can't have it on our own. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough to be able to have that kind of control. So we try and and force things and control and make sure things go a certain way and it begins to strain relationships. It begins to distort what love really looks like. But I know that a lot of times we just want to know like, okay, but just how can I make them do what I want them to do? How can I make this what I want it to look like? And so I'm going to give you guys four ways, four proven methods on how to control others and get your way, okay? Four ways. First is... Shame. Uh, Also, guilt is a great option. There's threats and being critical. These are four proven, lifelong ways to get what you want. 
And I'm going to tell you why God wants you to, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, these are all broken ways, but we have figured out how to use these broken methods to get what we want, to control other people. A lot of these have been, uh, our, our family of origin has exemplified, the, we've learned these things from families or from dating relationships or from marriages or from friendships. We've, we've seen these things work. The shame approach points out how foolish something was. Like, man, I can't, what a, what a stupid decision you make. I cannot believe you would do something like that. There's this use of shame to try and make sure that someone never does that again. The guilt approach has to do with comparing with someone else's behavior or another family. Well, their kids never, or their spouse always, or why does their home always? It's this comparison, and it's like, well, why are you broken? Because they can do it right, and, and somehow it's never that I'm broken. It's always someone else in my family that has the issue. The threat approach Uh, you know, articulating what the consequences will be. And I'm not opposed to consequences, don't get me wrong. But a lot of times it's just a threat of, uh, and we're threatening someone just to force a sense of control. It's literally, I've said this over the last few weeks, I'm not teaching any of these sermons because I have arrived on the mountaintop of familial health. I'm teaching these sermons uh, like from the journey. I'm also on the journey of learning how to have healthier relationships and and build healthier families. And and, and I'm still working through this. And this threat approach is probably my go-to approach with my kids. Yesterday, I threatened to take away Harry Potter. Like the fictional character. It was just like an open threat. I'm going to take away Harry Potter, is what I said. Not like a book or a movie or just like, I'm, I'm going to take him. I'm going to take, you know. Uh, but there's this sense, it's, I wanted my son to act a certain way, to be respectful, to kind of own his peace. And, and there's this like attempt at, okay, I'm going to make sure it happens. I'm going to control you to do this thing. Then there's the critical approach, which is always pointing out faults. No matter how small or how big the faults might be, you're just always nitpicking and pointing things out. These are proven ways to get what you want. These are proven ways to have control in relationships with boyfriend or girlfriend, spouse, family. But none of these ways could ever overlay or blend with what Paul said love looks like. None of these are patient or kind. None of these are uh, keep no record of wrongs. None of these are things that insist on their own way. These are all opposed to what love looks like. These are all broken ways that we have figured out or learned or seen from others that we have figured out how to utilize in our own lives. These are broken ways that we try and grasp for control of situations. And again, it's not that you're Dr. Evil and you're trying to build an an evil army of, of minions or anything. It's a sense of, well, I want what's best. I want them to be kind. I want them to be safe. I want a healthy marriage. I want a healthy family. It's not like we have evil intentions but we're just kind of bearing down and grasping for control in a, in a way that goes against what God wants for us. I heard one person, I read this actually this week, it said, uh, it's easy to say we love someone, but it's difficult to allow them the freedom that is inherent to love. I'll say that again. It's easy to say that we love someone. The challenge is allowing them the freedom that inherently comes with love. If I love you, then there is a freedom that I am giving you. Part of that freedom is a vulnerability if we open ourselves up to the possibility of actually being hurt, 
To truly love someone is actually to, to let the walls down and the safety down and to open yourself up, up, up to vulnerability. And, and there's this freedom that we give someone to see us for who we really are. It's a challenging thing. I think that one of the things that makes it even more difficult is that sometimes I'm actually right. Sometimes I actually do have the right answer. Sometimes I actually do have a a good suggestion or a better way to deal with things. And then in those moments, how do I interact with, how do I I handle that? It's like I actually do know the better way. I do know the right answer. I do know that you shouldn't kick your brother. You know, like there's there's these things like, well, no, this is fact. This is as close to fact as it gets. You you should not do that. And and so it kind of complicates things because I do have a good perspective or a healthy idea or or the right approach for what someone is facing. But does that mean that I actually get to still force control and demand control? I was thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, and again, this is this was a really difficult message for me to navigate through, and it's interesting and um, frustrating that sometimes I realize how bad I am at things when I start writing sermons about them. Uh, This idea of control is really difficult for me, and I would have never really considered myself much of a control freak, but this is a huge challenge, because as I started to process through this this question for myself of what does it mean for me to have control? Um, is it okay for me to be controlling? What, what about me as a parent? What about me as a husband who's trying to move a marriage in a certain direction? What does it look like? And so I, I was thinking about this idea, and I want you guys to have like a, just, let's do a thought experiment together. So if you guys will use your imaginations for a moment. Let's take a breath in and a breathe out. Okay, like we're using our imaginations. Let's imagine for a moment that I was 100% right all the time. I know it's not that difficult. It's like, I'm like 99% right all the time. Just kidding. Uh, 100% right all the time. I have the right answer. I have the best perspective. Um, I have other people's best interests at heart. I actually have the, the best intentions. I want health. I want my family to flourish. I want my friends to flourish. Let's just imagine that Chris has this like, all-knowing, healthy perspective. If that were the case, and again, thought experiment, would it, would it be okay then for me to be controlling? Would it be okay then if, if I really did know the actual best answer and I had their actual best interests at heart? Would it be okay? Would I be justified and okay and being frustrated when I was ignored or people didn't do the things the way that I said that they should do them, even though it is actually the better way? the healthiest, most fulfilling way. I was starting to think about this, this past couple weeks and I started to realize we actually have, we have an example of what this actually would look like. Um, I believe that God is love. I believe that the essence of God is love and out of this deep love of the triune God, there is creation that happens. We read about this in Genesis. I know there's people that talk about you know, how and when and things like that. And this isn't about how creation. This is about that God created. And in this poem, God creates this uh, universe and stars and the earth and water and sun. And, and there's all this beauty. And God creates animals and fish and birds. And God creates man and woman. And, and in that, God creates this garden. And God creates this, um, he gives these guidelines he gives a command, really. He says, you can do so many things, but there's this one tree that you can't eat from. And 
we're probably somewhat familiar with the story, at least anecdotally, that, that they choose to eat from this tree. They choose to make this choice. And it's fascinating to me that God gives them all of the goodness and God gives them a choice. God gives them the freedom to choose something painful, broken, something that will not give them what they actually long for, something that will give them the opposite of what they actually most want. God gives them that freedom. He gives them the say-so to make a choice. We see this show up all throughout the scripture, all throughout the Bible. This theme continues to show up of God allowing people to have a choice. Israel starts off as a family, and it becomes a tribe, and then it becomes a nation. And and Israel says, um, you know what? All of the other nations have kings, and so we want a king. So they ask God for a king. They say, will you give us a king? And, And I'm paraphrasing again here, and God says, No, you can't have a king. I'm your God, and I just want you to listen to me. I want you to follow my directions, my instructions. They're like, yeah, we totally will listen to you. Can we also have a king? Kind of like when my kid was like, yeah, I'm going to eat dinner. Just two more pieces of candy, though. Like, I I promise I'm going to eat dinner also. There's this request, and they keep pressuring and asking for a king, and, and eventually God allows them to have a king. It was not what they needed. It was not what was best for them. And in a crazy turn of events, God actually identifies the king that they have. He, he picks their king. It's not the best way for them, but God allows them to choose that process. We see God in flesh. Jesus comes and walks and models a different way to love and accept and show grace and extend forgiveness and, and inclusion. And all throughout Jesus' life and teaching, there's these examples of, of Jesus providing an opportunity for people to choose. Even in the parable of the Good Samaritan, there's two sons, and it's this parable about how God as a father allows uh, a son to make this bad choice, this broken choice to take his inheritance early and go out and waste it. And then when the son realizes his mistake, he comes back, and God, the father, just lets the son come back, lets the son return. He doesn't keep him from making those bad choices and experiencing the pain He invites him to see a different way and allows him to make the choice. There's a story about a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. And in the story, he says, "Uh, teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, uh, you need to do these certain things. And and the rich young ruler says, "I've, I've done all those things. That's great. I'm in. And Jesus says, well, one more thing you need to do. You need to sell all you have and give it away. And it says that the man walked away sad. Another example of someone that Jesus knew what he needed to do, the action this person needed to take to experience wholeness, health, healing, fullness, whatever word you want to use, he knew what that person needed to do, and he allowed him to choose. Jesus modeled a different way. He gave the better path, and he allowed someone to make a choice that potentially is going to be painful and hurtful. I started thinking about this idea over the last couple of weeks because there are times when I get frustrated because it's like, well, I do know what's safer for my kids. I do know the right way to act. I do know what I want my marriage to look like. And, and I'm obviously not perfect, but I have all these ideas of, of the way I want things to go. And I found myself in this place of, well, if Jesus is navigating a world that's filled with brokenness and hurt and pain and, and, and choices that people can choose a, a, a painful way, 
All of these things that I'm afraid for my kids, I don't want them to experience brokenness or hurt or pain. I don't want my relationships to experience those things. If Jesus navigates a world and knows exactly the right choices to make and, and has kind of every right to be able to prove a certain way or demand a certain response and he still gives a choice, why do I, why do I think it's okay for me to continue grasping for control? Why do I feel like it's okay for me to, to force my way in certain relationships, to force my way in the way that my kids develop, to force my way or what I think is the best in my marriage is a challenging piece for me to wrestle with. Jesus, in John 15, he's speaking with the disciples and he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Not with a controlling love, not with a let me demand or make sure that you always do things the right way, my way, the healthiest way, the safest way, the best way. I want you to love each other the way that Christ loved us. And this is our command. This is our invitation. And in Philippians chapter 2, this is the the voice translation, and it starts off in this way. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, a.k.a. in family month, with your kids, with your spouse, with your roommates, with your neighbors, with your family members, adult family, kid, whatever version of family you're talking about, in your mindsets, have this, in your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, the privileges of being God, and he took on the status of a slave, became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. You can imagine how humbling it would be to know the best way and just allow others to make those choices, allow others to choose, allow others to ultimately crucify you. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lives a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless and obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. There's this invitation for us in this letter. It's really a command for us to have this same mindset in our relationships, that there's things that maybe privileges that you have or ways that you are right or things that you are owed that you deserve And instead of clutching onto those things and forcing your way, it's actually a command to set those things aside and to give a sacrificial love, to model a different way, to show a different way, and to love others exactly where they are at, regardless of what you are owed or what you may know. I think there's a a challenge for us because we get to this place where it's like, okay, I shouldn't control everything, but why do I keep struggling with this, and, and what are the ways that I avoid this, avoid this in the future? And so here's the piece. As I've been kind of wrestling through this, here's what I've learned for myself. I think it may be true for more people than just me, um, but the reality for me is that I grasp for control when I am being controlled by fear. The times that I'm experiencing fear, 
when I am being controlled or gripped by fear in different ways, are the times that I most grasp for control of other people, of other situations, of other scenarios. And again, it's not because I have evil intentions. It's because there's something that's driving me to make those decisions. I'm going to talk about this a little bit. Because fear, when fear grips us, when fear controls us, it causes us to try and control people, things, places, And the problem is is that we cannot love people well when we are being controlled by fear. In 1 John, it says that perfect love casts out all fear. There is no fear in love. So there's this reality that as much as I uh, want to love someone, uh, the more fear that I have, the more it interferes with the way I'm able to actually love them. In that 1 Corinthians passage, that uh, patient and kind and uh, not dishonoring or not proud, all of those ways that I want to love someone, um, you know, it's not possible when I'm being gripped by fear. It's a challenge. You cannot love someone the way that Jesus told us to when fear is controlling you. You can't forgive someone when fear is controlling you. You can't trust someone when fear is controlling you. You can't experience reconciliation, a healed relationship, when fear is controlling you. Even though you want to love them, you want to experience that wholeness, when fear is controlling us, we can't connect with others. We can't enjoy others. You certainly can't love others the way that Jesus told us to love others when we are being controlled or gripped by fear. And this is something that we have to recognize because they're deeply connected. This sense, this question of, well, what if they? Fill in the blank. Well, what if I? Fill in the blank. What if it doesn't go the way that it should go or that it needs to go? There's a fear. And so because it might not go that way, I'm going to start to try and control it. There's this sense of, of uh, how can I know? Or maybe I'm not who I think I am. Or maybe they're not who I think they are. Um, it's a difficult challenge for us. I think for us as we wrestle through this piece of control and recognizing where the fear is, I've been doing something over the last two weeks that's been helpful for me. Uh, Not fun, but helpful. And so I want to invite you guys to also not have fun and be helped. Um, On your seats, you guys each have a pen and a piece of note paper and maybe just on your phone or whatever it is. I I want you guys to do something with me. Um, This is not homework that needs to be turned in. You don't need to show anybody this, so you can write in your own code if you want. You don't have to be nervous about who might read it. Um, There's a bonfire. You can put it in on your way out the door. I'm just kidding. Um, But I want you guys just to take a moment, and I want you to write down the names of your Uh, your family, your immediate family, the people closest to you, not necessarily in the room right now, but the three to five people that you're like, this is, this is my family, good or bad, happy or sad. This is my family. Just take a moment and you can put their initials or their name, whatever that is. There's a few steps to this process, but the first one is just to kind of notate the names. And and I want you to be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell me or anybody else, but I want you to honestly think through in what ways do I try and control this person? Each person on the list. What, What ways do I try and control this relationship, their choices? 
And if you're not totally sure of what the answer to that is, some of you may know right away, but some of you may not quite be sure. I want to try and connect these dots. These people that we deeply love and we wrestle with control in their life because there's something that we're afraid of for them. There's something we're afraid of for them. There's something we're afraid in our relationship with them. And that fear is causing us to try and grasp for control. I'll give you guys an example. One example from my life. I've got a million. Um, I've talked before. Uh, and Mason, who was up here earlier, uh, you never know what that kid's going to say, including when he says, I like that this is the perfect place for imperfect people. Because it is. And we talk about that a lot. And He just decided to say that on his own. And I love that because... Um, we try and lead and give you guys an example that is reflective of that. Um, and part of that is sharing my own struggles and challenges. So my family, there was a lot of challenges growing up in my family. Um, not all of them are necessarily pertinent to this conversation, but um, looking back on my childhood growing up, I realized that I was much more emotionally uh, sensitive than what it felt like anybody else in my family was. Um, I didn't really realize the impact of that until much later. And I think it's, I mean, the reality is nobody really talked about emotional health 30 years ago. <laughs> that wasn't like a conversation that anybody was having. Um, but as I got to my 30s, I started to feel these like just challenges, these walls that I couldn't go through. And I go to counseling fairly regularly, um, and I have for a long time. And uh, so my counselor was saying, well, there's, you know, it's your emotions and it seems basically the, the cliff notes are like, you don't know what to do with emotions. And I was like, yeah, that's right. I have them, a lot of them, uh, and I don't know what to do with them. I don't know how to interact with them. I don't know, how, like, I don't like it when they control me and I feel like they have for most of my life. So we started working through that and um, it's a slow ongoing process. Around the same time, I became a father and as my son has gotten older, I realized that he has inherited my gift of emotions. Uh, he is sensitive and emotional in all of the best ways. Um, and I love that about him. Um, and I have this fear because of the pain that I've gone through of, as an adult, having to learn how to handle my emotions in a healthy way. As an adult, learning how to process my emotions. I have this fear that he'll have to experience that same thing. That he'll get to be 30 or 35 and start to have kids and then have to figure out how to become healthy and, and all these types of things. And so I have this fear. And so what I find myself doing because I love him so much is I try and control his emotions for him. I try and like minimize them or redirect them or, or I'm always trying to kind of grasp control of this situation not because I don't like emotions not because I don't love my son but because I love him and because I'm afraid that he will have to deal with the same things that I had to deal with as an adult it's terrifying and it doesn't work it doesn't work I'm not helping him in any way by controlling that and the invitation of what Jesus modeled and communicated is to love the way he loves us and to show a different way. And so I, the best thing I can do is not to control that for him because I love him, but to, to show him a father, a man that is able to interact with his emotions in a healthy way. 
I know I'm crying right now, but I think this classifies as healthy, so just don't judge me. To show him, to give him a, a picture of what does it look like to talk about and acknowledge. And, and this is just one thing. Your kids may not be emotional. This may not be your thing. But maybe for you, there's a, a piece of, of finances that are terrifying for you because you never had enough growing up. Or maybe because there was so much and you never really had to learn responsibility. And so you're trying to bear down in certain relationships in certain ways to make sure that that's not an experience. Or maybe in your marriage, you know, maybe your parents had a broken marriage or maybe they had, you know, whatever it was. And so you're trying to force something because you want yours to be healthy. You want yours to be good. But it comes from this fear of, I don't want that to happen again. I don't want that to happen for them. And there's this piece that's so difficult because even though it's the best intentions, it's the right motives, it's still being driven and polluted by fear. And there is no fear in love. The perfect love casts out all fear. And so you have names, You have maybe some ideas of the way you try and control. Maybe you can kind of connect the dots with what is the fear that I have for this child? What's the fear that I have for this person, for this spouse, for this friend? And the last part of this is where we start to experience freedom. And this is the part that we can't give ourselves. We can't we can't find healing ourselves. This is why we need a savior. This is why we need God's love and the power of God's spirit transforming our hearts and minds because we can't do this. But Paul, in the same letter where he says, in your relationships, have the same mindset as Jesus. Two chapters later in Philippians 4, he says this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So for me, the way that this has looked, and again, uh, not a perfect track record, is for me to say, the thing that I am anxious about, the thing that I am afraid of for my son is this. And I get to take this fear and I get to offer it to my heavenly father. And there is a promise that says that he will exchange that fear, that anxiety, that that concern, that request. He'll exchange that with a peace that is beyond any understanding. It doesn't make sense in our human minds why I would experience peace in this situation. Because there's still a lot to be afraid of. But he's exchanged my fear for peace And there is a promise that you'll guard our hearts and our minds in that process. In the moments when I get this right, which is not 99% of the time, the moments I get this right, I have no desire for control. I have no desire to control that situation for him. The moments I get this right in my marriage, I'm able to sit back and breathe and I have a peace. And when you have peace, when you feel peace, there's this sense where it's like, okay, okay. There's an openness. There's an ability to love as someone truly is and to show up as you truly are and to believe that that God is in the midst of that. This is the invitation that I want to call us into today. It's an invitation to release control by tracing it back to what are the fears that are controlling us. And then with those fears, the only thing that we can do is offer those to God, our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together.
Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized, or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.